Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Shrieking Shack. This is a Da Vinci Code reread podcast for master symbologists. I am your host, Liz. And Zizi, how'd I do? I would like a letter grade, please. Deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. A lock don't be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world is opened up as has the Griffin's dream. I was a little worried that I would say your name. Like, I am your host, ZC, because I've heard it so many times that <laughs> right. way, right? Um, so that um, was the part I kind of had to think through in my head the most. I, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, your beautiful intro has been recorded. My response to it was not until just now. I, God I've, damn it. <laughs> this, is, this is so fucked up. This is so fucked up what Audacity's done to me here. I asked for a letter grade and I just got silence. <laughs> oh no. Oh, this is, uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep this in the recording um, and, and just uh, reiterate here. Liz got an A plus on a the, plus. On, on, yeah. on that. Uh, a plus knocked it out of the park. Did, did a great job of uh, making it, making it match the episode we're on instead of just saying Harry Potter, even though we don't talk about that show or that book much anymore. Right. And presumably you hit record at the right time, which I think I might have fucked up. So I believe I did this time. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm so used to doing the countdown. I just didn't, well, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good. Cause you're doing it. I didn't, I didn't think that I I forgot that I, I also had to press that button. (laughs) Oh, the record button? Yeah, the, the button that, you know, I've only done, how, how many, what episode are we on? Like 300 something? God something? only knows, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, amazing intro. Uh, Thank take, you. Take us away, take yeah. us away. Yeah, so here's my question. I did say uh, Da Vinci Code reread podcast. You have read it before, right? Oh, this yeah. is a true yeah. reread podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, around around the same time as the Harry Potter books, like I would have been I would have read it as it came out. I read it like a couple years before the movie came out, which was maybe like a year after the book came out. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I read it at the time. Uh, okay. What about you? So a true reread podcast. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. I was a big, um, big Dan Brown head. Um, I read The Da Vinci Code and then I read all of his other books as well. Yeah. Okay, so me, me too, because I read I read Digital Fortress. Uh, although I guess I guess I didn't read all of them. Then I, I read I read the Digital Fortress first, and then I read Da Vinci Code. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. I got di- I got Digital Fortress first. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, I liked thrillers. I mean, I, I liked like Robert Ludlum stuff. I liked Lacar, uh, and so I just kind of ended up with it. I think as a gift, maybe for like my birthday or something. Interesting. Very interesting. Did you read Deception Point, the one that like takes place in Antarctica? No, no, I didn't read that one. I think you were telling me about that one and I had like no idea it existed. Right. Yeah. I couldn't tell you much about it other than the name. Yeah, I I I I uh I've only read those two. Um, but after reading this one and then Yesterday, learning a little bit about what the other ones are about, I'm like, I kind of want to read some more because they sound it sounds like it never gets any less crazy with Dan Brown. No, I don't think it does. We will get to kind of the 
uh, stuff surrounding the Da Vinci Code, but I want to take a little detour first um, mm, mm-hmm. because I I think that uh, the Da Vinci Code is really fun because of how many people thought it was real. Oh my god! Like a lot, uh, and maybe <laughs> maybe still do. So I wanted to go through and uh, think of other things that people thought was real, and my like first one on the list is the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. The Blair Witch Project stuff was crazy. Like, people for sure thought that, like, they had actually released a movie you could go and pay to see in theaters where people died. Yeah, just like they put out a (laughs) snuff film for folks in the theater. In the theater, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you you watch that movie? Did you see it at the time? I think I saw it, like, two years later or something, so I didn't see it when it was... Uh, the thing it's uh, it's pretty fun i like the movie yeah it's a pretty cool movie um yeah. i remember um some of my schoolmates at the time being very upset by it though because they really truly thought it was real <laughs> i never i don't think i knew anyone who thought it was real uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if there were any other Pieces of media like that at the time, I, I Da Vinci Code and Blair Witch are like the two that I just strongly associate with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I have another one, which is Paranormal Activity, but that kind of oh. is like sort of a successor to the Blair Witch Project, right? Although it's a little bit more of like a fake documentary versus just like the spooky home video, right? I have yeah. The par- Paranormal Activity was. When did that come out? When we were in college, probably, right? Yeah, that was like 2010, 2009, maybe? Yeah, so when that came out, um, it was actually my uh, RA, uh, my freshman year at college, that came to my dorm at like 2 a.m. <laughs> in tears. Oh, and was no. like, I just watched Paranormal Activity. I can't believe this is all real. <laughs> Oh my god. That's that's really good because that that because that is the second round of like this kind of thing. Yes. Uh, I mean I mean there's like there's like the famous one of course is the is the War of the Worlds radio play, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever listened to that? Mm-mm. That that one always cracks me up because it like has music in parts of it. Like like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I bet Paranormal Activity is a little sneakier than that. Maybe. I, I never saw I, like, that. I pulled up Wikipedia with her, like, for real at two in the morning and was like, don't worry. It's not real. <laughs> it's a, uh, just, it's does all made up. Does Paranormal Activity not have, like, opening and closing credits? It must. I've never seen it. <laughs> That's the part that I always wonder. It's just like you can like like the Blair Witch. At least they like. It must I think have credits, they like right. <laughs> yeah, it it does, but I think they did some like some like you know some like cutesy obfuscation stuff where like they didn't like it was all it was like a cast of mostly unknowns and they didn't like they didn't show up to the premiere and stuff like that. You know, like there there was at least like that that they were they were fishing for that reaction a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. To, very funny to. To do that with paranormal activity, uh, which I'm pretty sure has like a post credit scene or something like that. It's like that kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I can't think of anything else that is quite in that realm. I mean, the Da Vinci Code stands on its own, right? It's not. It's not a trying mm-hmm. to scare you because it's real. Um, but it is what I think of as just like a 
at the time, people were really fooled by this piece of media. Yeah, the Da Vinci Code is is also, I think, maybe more than any of these other ones that that we remember, is the one that is trying the hardest, I think, to bait that reaction out of people and Mm -hmm. then walking back from it in very uh, obnoxious ways constantly, I guess, (laughs) is the best way to put it. Oh, does it walk it back? Well... Dan Brown walks it back whenever he's in trouble, you know? Okay, okay. Well, let's talk about Dan Brown a little bit, shall we? Yeah. He's yeah. a guy who loves to get in trouble. He's Mr. Too Damn in Trouble, that's for sure. Yeah, we've uh, been talking about Dan Brown, the two of us, for quite a mm-hmm. bit over the last month or so. This is why I'm so surprised that you read Digital Fortress before... Um, before the Da Vinci Code, because I think that he was just sort of wallowing in mm-hmm. uh, very, very poor sales before this. Um, we had uh, Digital Fortress, Deception Point, and then the first in the Robert Langdon uh, series, Angels and Demons, uh, that didn't do too well before the Da Vinci Code just like rocketed him to celebrityhood. Mm-hmm. It, it is the highest best-selling book other than Order of the Phoenix, which beat The Da Vinci Code in 2003 when it came out. That is so wild to me. Like, I, I knew, I've always known that it was a popular book, but for whatever reason in my head, I was like, yeah, it was really popular, like, at the time, but, like, was it, it, didn't, it didn't stick in that way. But it's like, it, like, clearly still selling, I think, and, and like outsold most of the Harry Potter books like contemporarily like that 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 is wild to me yeah so so this is what this is driving me crazy because I've been like Pepe Silviaing all day about like how um bestsellers are like determined and like the the sales numbers that we we cite to say like what books have sold the most right because Mm -hmm. it was in 2009 that they said that the Da Vinci Code sold 80 million copies which puts it uh, really high up in the uh, bestsellers of all time list. Um, but it was in, I think, 2017 that all of the Harry Potter sales numbers were like refreshed and the Da Vinci okay. Code numbers are still from 2009. And in 2009, it was still beating all of the Harry Potter books except for Philosopher's Stone. That is that is crazy because the thing is, this book was a huge deal. I remember it being a huge deal. There were, there was like that. I, I think basically like since it came out till the movie came out and everyone kind of hated it, <laughs> it was just like the, like the, it got like a three year window of being like the book everyone had read. Um, but after that, I, I really don't recall it, it having that much sticking power. I mean, the, the, the main thing I, I associate with, with the Da Vinci Code is like, opening the door for stuff like national treasure to kind of come in and like like have this sort of like goofy like historical adventure thing kind of uh uh have have another moment but like i never heard anyone talk about the da vinci code basically after the movie came out um but i guess it it sounds like it is still an incredibly popular book and I, i maybe it's just because it is this like I, I guess just like self-repeating thing of like, well, it's it's the most it's 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 the best selling book 
So when people are looking up what are the best books to buy, they will find the Da Vinci Code and and buy it, right? Like it, it once it's there, it's sort of self perpetuating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I I don't think that his other books, I mean, I think that they do well because of the Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code, but it, it isn't as if the Robert Langdon franchise has become like a like a cultural sticking point, right? No. It, it's, it is the Da Vinci Code um but it's not like we hear about that day to day. We still have to keep hearing about Harry Potter for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I would much rather be hearing about Dan Brown because everything I hear about him, it's about him being in trouble uh, for something pretty funny so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about his divorce? <laughs> I would like nothing better. <laughs> Dan Brown had a really messy divorce that was in the public eye. Um, I have no real point to make for this other than um, he uh, maybe cheated on his wife with her horse trainer and bought the horse trainer like a $500,000 horse. And that all got dragged up in court proceedings. <laughs> it was So So the, th- the thing about this that, that really, really... Uh, uh, stuck out to me is that we we know about another uh, incredibly rich man who tried to buy someone off with a horse recently, and that was the <laughs> Elon Musk situation, right? Like, like reporting from a few months ago, and I seem to recall that was like a that was like a seventy five hundred dollar horse or something way. Low. So I, I'm Fool. wondering, has the price of horses gone way down? Was it a particularly shitty horse? Did Dan Brown buy an incredibly expensive horse? I I'm I am now aware. I'm now like all too aware of like the horse market. Um, Did Dan Brown like, get scammed by a horse dealer? <laughs> Did, did he let slip who it was like in the the or the or the 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 guy selling the horse like looked him up on Google really quick and added a couple of zeros to the to the invoice maybe <laughs> it's it's very funny there's a lot of dramatic quotes that came out of this um y- you know it's part of the the court proceedings i think the reason that it ended up being a messy situation is that his um his now ex-wife uh, claimed that she uh, had a lot to do with the writing of the da vinci code and mm-hmm. he, he hid a lot of his assets from her um it, having to do with like the movie and and future ventures um so it's kind of like a a mystery now about like w- what part did uh, did his ex-wife have to play in the research yeah. um, research of the book? Because there's a ton of stuff before they were divorced um, where she is cited as having done most of the research. A great um, place that that pops up is in a different lawsuit uh, that Dan Brown was involved in because um, he loves to get in trouble, which was when <laughs> um, the author of... Um, Oh, what is it called? The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail sued him. Um, We'll get into that later for sure. Um, But sued him for like taking the idea for the Da Vinci Code from them. Um, And uh, it was said like they didn't see their book until later. So, So that raised the question, like what of the research was done by his wife? And I think that there was there was a lot in there that was supposedly attributed to her that's very interesting yeah the there was also the thing that i don't know if you can really claim 
this is being evidence for this, but it, it, it's certainly like a funny, like side anecdote. You, you, you discovered that New York times article about, um, the advice book that was attributed to Dan Brown, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that was published. It was just like a, one of those, you ever go to like a, like a gift shop, you know, or like, a just like a chintzy, like, like presence store that just has like, here's some here's some f- humor books bathroom books type yeah, stuff yeah and, it, and there, there, it was a little book like calling it a book might even be generous it's like it's like it, it, it's it's just a sentence per page and it's like it, it's a joke book where it's like here's 187 men to avoid dating uh and it's then it's, it's what, what were some of my men who play nintendo uh men who men who have pop a wheelies <laughs> yeah men who pop wheelies <laughs> in air quotes <laughs> like just just you know completely banal like you know bathroom book humor stuff but i i i was curious if that was maybe a team effort thing similar to what the da vinci code might have been because they were still married when 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 that that came out and i almost wonder if it was like a it, it's like the, the, the whole thing but oh it's so easy to write a kid's book right like in a, in a you know like like we, we should try writing a kid's book i just feel like that's a really common uh uh uh, uh get rich quick scheme you know for mm-hmm. like a, that a lot of people try their hands at i could see that one being like a no, no, maybe maybe like a joint project or something before they struck gold with uh, Da Vinci Code. Yeah, definitely. I I actually don't remember what year that came out. I'm very curious if that was his first. 80, I think it came out in 95 seven. and then Digital Fortress was 97 or something oh, okay. like that. Very interesting. Yeah, it's just like a, it, it, you, you kind of like get a portrait of like an author uh, someone who is just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like I, I, if, if, if the Da Vinci code hadn't hit and, and the, uh, the 187 men to avoid thing had like Dan Brown would probably still be like, you know, like a newspaper humorist or something. It, yeah. it, it just seems very much just like, I'll, I'll try, I'll try anything so get, to get me out of this teaching job. Yeah, definitely. Um, 187 Men to Avoid has a 2.34 rating on Goodreads. <laughs> um, the highest rated um, review here that has text is three out of five stars. Rather funny. Actually, several of these statements describe my husband perfectly, dot, dot, dot. Oops, crying laughing emoji. <laughs> oh, oh, see, that's the exact kind of rea- the joke that that book is meant to, to, to elicit. So I guess good job, Dan Brown. On, yeah, on your, yeah. That on is your little the level, gag gift book. Yeah. That is the level that it's operating on for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, the Da Vinci Code, as one of the best selling books of all time, uh, I think that uh, we talked. Uh, earlier today about them uh, doing a re-release, and I've been holding on to this one for a little while. Um, there was actually a young adult adaptation that was released in 2016. Uh, what, like just a completely different version of it? Like It is an abridged version. Oh. So it sounds like they took out all of the rated R content and then put a different <laughs> cover on it. They just took out all of like the <laughs> sex cult stuff. 
<laughs> I, I assume they like cut that scene out and then like he, like the murdered man wasn't nude in the beginning or something. <laughs> the, 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 the murdered man had like drawn a really good picture instead of like carving himself up. Yeah. So if anyone wants to read the young adult abridged version of of the Da Vinci Code, that one came out in 2016. Yeah. The the only other recent thing that I know of from, like, the Langdonverse is that there was a show recently of The Lost Symbol, which is, like, the prequel book, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, like, I saw the trailer for it, and it was, like, very funny, and all I know about it is that it got canceled after one season. So... But it's on Peacock. It is... It's on the Peacock box. I still have the box. You still have the box. We could watch. We could watch the lost symbol on Peacock. I, I just don't know. There's clearly no broad appeal, like like broad demand for 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 Langdon. It really is just that this book kind of, I guess, was like a little bit of like a just a a a, a cause celebra, you know, just like a this this was like a moment. And yet, it somehow is managing to be up there in the best selling novels of all time. Like mm-hmm. when you look at lists again, the numbers are really hard to track, but you look at them and it's like. Don Quixote, uh, The Little Prince, The Da Vinci Code, right? <laughs> like, like it really is. Um, it's up there, uh, which I it's shocking to me. Like, I, I don't yeah. have anything to say other than I, I can't believe that it was such uh, a force that um, for the short time, the like flash in the pan that it was like the cultural thing that it yeah. it kind of cemented itself up there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was saying that it sort of felt like Dan Brown was just kind of throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck, right? Like he wrote a humor book, he wrote a, a like techno thriller about computers and and, and, and <laughs> stuff in like '97. Mm-hmm. He wrote uh, Angels and Demons, which, as far as I know, I have not read it yet. But Angels and Demons is far more of an adventure novel, from what I understand. Like, yeah. I- there's there's way more action in that than there is in the Da Vinci Code, and the Da Vinci Code, as 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 we are going to talk about at, at length, is is it has like a target, you know, like it it presents itself as like having secret information and is like 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 telling you all these like amazing secrets about like the Catholic Church and and the nature of Christianity and 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 so on and so forth and it it it's way more uh inflammatory and it just feels like this was maybe the one that hit because of that. Yeah. And, and, we'll, and we'll continue to hit forever because of that. Right. I um I have read Angels and Demons and I, it's been a, it's been many years and I didn't do like specific research about angels and demons at this point, but that is how I remember it. It's very action oriented. It's um, as far as I can remember about uh, electing a specific Pope and it is a um, it, it's like a, like, Oh, they murdered some Cardinals to make sure the Pope, the right Pope was elected, but it is like self-contained a little bit in this, this story that it's telling if that makes sense yeah and and i think critically so is the da vinci code mm-hmm. like this is part of like the the robert langdon series but i i you could have told me this was the first book in the series and i would have believed it you know what i mean like i i'm sure most people have only read the da vinci code 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Or they read like, the Da Vinci Code and then went back and read Angels mm-hmm. and Demons, which is what I did. Yeah. Yeah, but like there's nothing there's like nothing in the Da Vinci Code that like matters to or 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 the the the, the, the Angels and Demons matters to. I think there's like one paragraph where he's like he was Langdon thought about the adventures he had had last summer in Venice or whatever and then just like that's it. Langdon thought about the Catholic Church. He- <laughs> <laughs> but he he pines for that uh the the like I I guess like the previous books Bond girl she's like oh she's probably in Antarctica Antarctica doing science right now or oh, something like fuck, that. Oh fuck I forgot about that. Yeah. I think that's the one Angels and Demons reference in this. Other than that it it, it it's it's this is a self-contained story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, without further ado, shall we get into our self-contained story? I'm so excited to get into this. This is going to be a treat. Okay, well, um, kick back because I've got a summary for us. um, (laughs) And it is one that I have rehearsed. And when I rehearsed it, it was about 10 minutes long. So I hope you have a have a Bev uh, to enjoy here. Mm -hmm. I um, deliberately split... um, the story of the Da Vinci Code thriller from the story of history that it tells. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. So we'll go with the um, the summary that is uh, the thriller of the Da Vinci Code. Um, the novel opens with a scene of a monk who is in the process of murdering a man in the Louvre in an attempt to extract a secret about a mysterious object. He is apparently successful. The murdered man, Jacques Saunier, was a curator at the Louvre. Scheduled to, for the day after his death was, was a meeting with our hero, Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon is a professor of symbology at Harvard and a micro-celebrity in the academic world. Um, This is another point that I think was like an Angels and Demons thing where he is that sort of micro-celebrity that we don't really know why. Langdon is summoned to the crime scene uh, by a detective Foch of the French French police who believes that Langdon is the murderer. At the crime scene, we find out that Jacques Saunier left a puzzle written in invisible ink next to his body before he died. Before Foch can spring his trap and arrest Langdon, the interview is interrupted by our heroine, Sophie Niveau. Niveau. Sophie Niveau Niveau is a cryptologist. (laughs) I'm sorry for my (laughs) French pronunciations here now and going forward. Um, She is a cryptologist for the French police and Jacques Saunier's granddaughter. One line of the puzzle left behind by by Saunier reads, P.S. Find Robert Langdon. This is what leads Detective Foch to believe that Langdon is the killer, but Sophie knows it is a message from her grandfather to her, and so she has resolved to help to escape Langdon from the Louvre. Following Sophie's instructions, they give Foch the slip. Before fleeing the museum, they solve the rest of Sunyer's puzzle, find an anagram, solve that anagram, and find a key behind a da Vinci painting. Langdon and Sophie are finally free of the Louvre, but after being cut off from the United States Embassy, they realize that the key is to a safety deposit box at a Swiss bank. They arrive at the bank, solve another puzzle, and retrieve a cryptex, which is a cylinder with stacked dials that you can turn to spell out a word. Once the password is entered, it slides open to reveal a compartment. It also has like a self-destruct mechanism in the form of a vial of vinegar that will melt the message if someone tries to bypass the password. 
By this point, Langdon and Sophie have talked about her background enough that they have come to a conclusion that Jacques Sonnier was a high-ranking member of a secret society, the Priory of Sion, that has been tasked with the secret of the Holy Grail. Langdon begins to believe this cryptex will lead them to the Grail. The police have caught up with them at the bank, but luckily the manager of the bank helps them escape. But then the manager of the bank turns on them, but then they get away. <laughs> That's right. Langdon, Langdon knows that if they are on a quest for the Holy Grail, there's only one place for them to go, to his old friend Sir Lee Teabing's house. There they will get help with the riddle to open the cryptex and lay low for a while. Lee Teabing is a fabulously wealthy eccentric who has made it his life's work to find the Holy Grail. He explains the real secret of the grail to Sophie, that it is not in fact the cup of Christ, but evidence that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and that there was a royal bloodline of their descendants. Also, there's a sarcophagus of Mary Magdalene somewhere. Now it is Silas the monk who catches up with Langdon and Sophie, breaking into the house to steal the cryptex. He is defeated by our heroes and taken hostage. Using Teeping's private plane, they escape France and fly to England. While on the plane, they solve the riddle of the cryptex, only to find another cryptex inside with another riddle. The second riddle leads them to a church where they are stumped as to what the solution could be. Their investigation is cut short by Teabing's butler double-crossing them and freeing Silas. At gunpoint, they take the cryptex as well as taking Teabing as, as a hostage. It is now up to Langdon and Sophie who have memorized the riddle to solve it and hopefully intercept the villains and free Teabing. They go to a research library and a librarian helps them search books to help them with their riddle. On a new lead, they go to Westminster Abbey. The culprit is indeed there and confronts them at gunpoint after luring them to an unoccupied area of the Abbey. Our mastermind was Lee Teabing all along. He faked his own kidnapping and had been manipulating Silas the monk and a bishop of the Opus Dei to set his plan into motion. Teabing wants to find the grail and reveal its truths to the world, believing the Priory of Sion has neglected this duty. This will also destroy the Catholic Church. During our final, final confrontation, Teabing offers Langdon the cryptex as a peace offering in a bid that they work together to solve the puzzle. Langdon does end up solving the puzzle and discreetly opens the cryptex, takes the message inside, and then throws the empty cryptex into the air. Teabing does a slow-mo, Looney Tunes jump forward to catch the cryptex, <laughs> and no longer has Langdon and Sophie at gunpoint as a result. Detective Foss shows up and having learned the truth in the meantime, arrests Teabing. Langdon and Sophie set out to final, follow the final clue of the cryptex, ending up at a specific chapel where they meet a docent and her son, which turn out to be Sophie's long-lost grandma and brother. Sophie is a descendant of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. The Grail was with us all along. Uh, that's the end of the novel. However, there is an epilogue where Langdon discovers an alternate meaning of the final riddle and realizes that the sarcophagus of Mary Magdalene must be hidden under the big inverted pyramid at the Louvre. That's the end. I gotta take wow. a drink of water. Yeah, take a bow too. Thank you. That 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 is a not an easy job summarizing a book that uh, has a lot of information and yet maybe four scenes. Yeah, about four scenes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Just four really long scenes in this book. Well. Now that we have uh, jumped into the world of the Da Vinci Code, I think the only way to talk about this book, to kind of break it down, uh, is to talk about um, the themes, the characters, and the facts of the Da Vinci yes. Code. 
Absolutely. I think this is a great way to break it down because, I mean, like just as as evidenced by by needing to split the summary into two, uh, I I think that going by this going like traditionally like through this book chronologically, I think is like a fool's errand. There's no way we could do this. No, and there, it's it's baffling too because there's only four scenes, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet so much to talk about. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, let's start right at the top here. Let's talk about the divine feminine. <laughs> the divine feminine and all all of the themes in the Da Vinci Code. The very yeah. important themes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm picking that up as our our number one theme <laughs> theme here. And and as <laughs> our divine feminine. <laughs> That's right. Um, and what what better way um, to launch this discussion than to um, talk about the scene where uh, our heroine Sophie uh, explains to Langdon uh, that she witnessed a sex ritual uh, that her <laughs> grandfather was in. Okay, we are getting right into it. Just jumping right in headfirst here. I'm looking at my notes here. I've got themes. Point one. The Divine Feminine, sub-point, the hero's gamos. <laughs> yeah, so Sophie had a traumatic experience as as an adult, I guess, actually, remembering the, the, the book here. Coming home to her grandfather's mansion one day and noticing a bunch of fancy cars parked out front. And then discovering that they were having an eyes wide shut sex party <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> I com- had completely mind wiped myself, I guess. I did not remember any of this reading this book. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think they took this out of the young adult edition. <laughs> what do you what do you what do you make of this thematically, I guess? I think what the most uh, incredible part of the scene is that uh, Sophie had this had this traumatic experience of of witnessing this ritual. Uh, but upon finding out that it is a historical ritual, she's just okay with it. <laughs> this fucking book, I so there there is a version of this. That that like I maybe I just sort of like imagined the Da Vinci Code being where like if if you were a very if you were raised very Christian and you found out that a family member or or someone else was involved in like a a a a religion or 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 ritual or anything that you you found like spiritually wrong right like spiritually you've been you've been raised your whole life to to reject i get that that would be traumatic um and and that you would as a like a character have this like moment of growth where you have it explained to you or you become more open-minded or you uh for for whatever reason come to a more uh, a, a less um uh uh biased understanding of of someone else's culture but that's not really what happens here. What happens here is that she saw <laughs> she saw like a, 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 an actual eyes wide shut like 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 sex ritual performed by the the secret elite of Paris. 
there's something else going on here. This is not, this is clearly not like an underdog story. And I think that this sort of kind of extends out to this, this book's bizarre philosophy on how it is presenting what it believes uh, religion to be, what it believes the Catholic church has like done with its influence to like stifle these other religions and, 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 and stuff. It, it presents a world where uh, the Catholic church is, is all powerful, but the thing that it is stamping out is the, 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 the town from hot fuzz, but real. And, and are saying that like that, <laughs> that that's what all religion used to be like the, this, this, this book has such a condescending, I guess is the best way to put it, like view of pagan religion, you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. pagan. The divine feminine in this is just, I, I feel like a real stand in for like, like Dan Brown saying he's a woman respecter. You know what I mean? Like there's no theology here. Oh yeah. Dan Brown is like the worst feminist in the world. <laughs> It's so it's constant throughout this, but I mean, I mean, take Sophie as a character, just being this like cipher for for like she 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 is not a character; she is just a like a a woman for Robert to explain stuff to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her her kind of like epic moments get to be like solving anagrams, right? But other <laughs> otherwise, she just gets get stuff explained to her um in that way i guess she's a little bit of a reader stand-in but oh my god yeah she she doesn't get to do much her job doesn't matter after the first scene um the her her traumatic backstory like like there there is nothing that in robert Langdon, langdon's explanation of uh Hayos Gamos or, or 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 anything that changes the fact that this would have been a pretty traumatic experience and he more or less says like well no it wasn't and she's cool with it i mean it's it's surreal right yeah the fact that she's like okay i was really traumatized by this thing and she like he like pats her hand and it's like it's okay your grandfather was in a cult. It's fine. And she's <laughs> like, oh, thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah, she should have been like, yeah, I know. That was the traumatizing part. I mean, like, <laughs> at no point did they address that, like, it, it's it like it would be weird to walk in on a family member fucking. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no <laughs> at no point did they discuss that part of it. And, you know, if it would have been funny if Robert Langdon was like, ah, the 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 heroes gamos. What a, what an interesting ritual. You should that that should have been really interesting. She was like, no, I saw my grandpa fucking against fucking someone. Like that's I didn't want to see that. Right. They never, right. They never. Yeah, they never address that. They never. And, and and this is like presented as like the 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 good guy alternative to Catholicism in this book is is rich people having secret sex parties, which is very, it's just like not very appealing, like as a, as a, like as a thing to root for. It's, it's, it's Dan Brown clearly did some research about like the Vatican and, and Catholicism, although like not very much. 
or, uh, <laughs> or not very good research, but but as soon as it comes time to like name another religion or explain another one, like he he is just like out of his depth completely. He does not know what to do, and so he just invents like I'm I, like I'm not joking by saying if, if if anyone's listening to this and has not read this book, the eyes wide shut thing is not a joke. Um, it is described as uh, a bunch of people in black and red and white robes holding orbs standing around in a circle chanting while two people in the middle have sex. And in the book, Dan, uh, uh, I keep saying Dan Brown. He basically is Dan Brown. But Robert Langdon is like, I, I, I enjoyed uh, the movie Eyes Wide Shut, although it got some of the details wrong or whatever. Right. Like it makes that comparison. Yeah, yeah, it it goes there and um it it's <laughs> this is this is veering off to our character segment but it's not as if that's like a characterful thing for him to say, right? No. It, it's like author voice stuff. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he is nothing but the author voice, which we we will get to 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 talk about the way that this thing portrays uh, uh, religions that have a concept of the divine feminine or or goddess worship or whatever. It, it, it sort of reflects back in the way that this book kind of revolves all around, like, Teabing wanting to expose the Catholic Church, right? And, like, how it, all of all of the, um, the, histor- the history stuff and, like, the, the concept of, like, power and uh, it, 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 through history being the Vatican in this, in this book, it ignores the fact that there like are other religions and specifically a lot of religions that would also have a lot to say about this revelation if it were true but like <laughs> kind of only the catholic church exists in this in this universe and and like uh, to a certain degree if you're doing like religious fantasy you kind of have to like f- zoom in and like pretend that like the other ones don't exist because like that would just like complicate the mythology or whatever but this isn't I don't know. This isn't Constantine. Like, they're, the, it's not like they have to like pick a specific like pantheon and, and and stay with it. This is like this is taking place in real life. So if if like the Catholic Church would be rocked by this, then like I <laughs> I don't know. Like what what would happen? When, like what happens with the Orthodox Church? What happens with the Evangelicals? What happens? I mean, like like anything that touches Christian or Jewish tradition at any point would be rocked by this. But we never hear about any of that. I, and I don't know if Dan knows that, like, all this stuff is interconnected in very interesting ways. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he doesn't. I um, There's this, like, funny quote by him uh, when asked about, um, like, Christianity's, uh, like, collective criticism of him. Uh, he responded, uh, the Vatican basically called all the Catholic churches and said, you boycott this book and you go and you preach the gospel and you say that Dan Brown is telling lies, um, which is like a hilarious thing to say, but it, it feels like his scope is so narrow too. like, yeah, I, I mean, everyone that I knew that was mad about the Da Vinci code weren't Catholics. They were like evangelicals. I mean, I remember seeing the movie at, at, on a midnight release and the like multiple local churches, none of them Catholic, had taken out ads uh uh condemning the the movie, like before the before the trailers and stuff. Like there was like mm-hmm. ads for either for their churches, like come see what the real truth of the grail is or whatever. Um but uh 
Yeah. Like you think about like if 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 you're if you have in your possession secret documents that prove that something about Jesus is different than we understand. It's like, well, that would affect a lot of religions in a lot of different ways. And none of that is explored in this book. And, and in fact, it feels actively ignored. Like Judaism might as well not exist in this book. Like, like I think like there's a star of David at the end, but like at no point does anyone point out, it's like, you know, like not every religion thinks of Jesus the same way. <laughs> Never comes up. Never comes up right. at all. Right. Um, but Jesus was the original feminist. <laughs> That's true. That's These true. are some of the true facts that we learn um, when exploring the thematic of feminism in the Da Vinci Code. That is a line in the book, right? It It is a line in the book. Uh, Langdon tells Sophia that Jesus was the original feminist um, in the context of um, the, the claim that Jesus was trying to leave his church in the hands of Mary Magdalene. <laughs> That is, that is honestly so perfect. I like I, <laughs> the 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 line Jesus was the original feminist being told to a woman by a very smug man in this novel. <laughs> oh, guess who invented feminism? Actually, it was Jesus. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh that is about the the feminism that this is operating operating with for sure. Yeah, I mean it's very it's a very very gender essentialist book. I mean like that shouldn't be surprising, but like it is it is it, like like the core mystery boils down to like oh the, the grail is is a womb. Another very feminist idea, I guess. Um there's a lot in there about I guess like the the nurturing power of women and, and stuff. It's 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 operating on like that that understanding of gender, which is you know like it's not surprising. I I wasn't like expecting better of the book, I guess, but it it's it it makes it it makes a lot of like the spiritual questions and like the the grand historical questions very funny because th this this book is clearly a little high on its own supply and like how how earth shattering some of its revelations are and you're reading this and it's like this very outdated idea of like gender and and uh uh, uh feminism and stuff and you're just like uh-huh okay this this was 2003 <laughs> okay yeah sure sure was 2003 and it it feels like dan brown didn't really think about any of this like beyond his own context, I suppose. Like when you read this for the first time, like when it came out, do you do you remember what was there anything in it specifically that you remember like informing or or confirming uh, uh, anything about religion for you? Like, is there anything um, you read and were like, oh yeah, damn, that's so true, or like anything like that? I don't know. I guess like. On so, I mean, I would have been, what, like 13 when it mm -hmm. came out or something. Um, so I was probably going through my my most, like, teen atheist phase. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I remember, like, generally speaking, having it be like, oh, like, the, the powers that be are lying to us, man. Yeah. 
but nothing yeah. specific. Cause I, I, I don't think that, uh, even at that time, and I'm not trying to sound like snobby or like, I, I no, don't, no. I don't really think, think down on people that maybe took some of the like facts in it as real or not or, or anything. But I was sort of like, well, I can't, I can't really take anything from the Da Vinci code as, as confirming or not mm-hmm. confirming what I think. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. No, that, 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 that does make sense. I was just curious. Cause it, it's, it, it's like just, just to loop it back into like the themes of the book. Cause the, the thing that is so weird about, the, and this is like the thing I have in my themes notes is just like the, the weirdest, like not of a question I have about this book is that, so Dan Brown presents this book and, maintains the act in all of his interviews that he's like, Oh no, you know, I'm, I'm sharing, I'm sharing true, true facts with you in this book. You know, every, everything like the first, the first thing in, in the uh, prologue to this book is fact. And then it says something completely wrong about the priory of Sion, but like that is how the book is presented. Teabing's plan was to destroy the Catholic church by releasing this information. I don't know if that would have worked, but taking the book at its word that it would have. Robert Langdon is like, oh, well, I can't do that because ultimately, like, faith does, you know, people, most people understand that faith is a metaphor. And so there's no reason to do this. There's no reason to, like, destroy Catholicism. Like, we we should continue to preserve this secret. So, but then this book is revealing the secret and is pretending it's true and, and he is maintaining that it's true and that this is all like real research. So like, is he Teabing or Langdon in this situation? That's a great question. <laughs> like, I mean, I think that Teabing was a very sympathetic character. I think that was what, I guess, let's freeform this. Let's jump into characters a little bit because yeah, sure. I, I think Teabing as like a highly motivated character that wanted to reveal the secret that had been covered up by a, uh, like a goddess worship cult was, um, was very much like, I was like, Oh, are the, is the villain right in this, in this case? Um, mm-hmm. uh, other than obviously his methods were poor. Uh, I was, I, I was much more on board with him than I was with Langdon. He, I, I he, this, this is a, a, a thing that kind of all of the protagonists suffer from, but like the protagonists don't believe or do anything. Um, and so whenever <laughs> an antagonist comes along and they get their own little chapter, cause this, this book's p- point of view is like all over the place in a way that I actually really enjoyed. It's like a lot of POV characters in this. Mm-hmm. Um, they, like have motivations and beliefs and like interesting ideas and like they justify all of their actions themselves. And it's, it's, it's a lot more uh, interesting to read that from the antagonist than it is from Langdon who he kind of only has like one belief and then it's that he's smarter than everyone in in every scene. Um, and so that, that sort of like makes him a little less sympathetic. It's, it's easy. It's easy to root for the guy who's like, yeah, fuck the Catholic church. Right. Like what do we owe them? Right. And just a general like uncovering of, of secret documents. Right. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you never root for the guys whose job it is to keep a secret in an adventure story. Right. Like. That's not how it works, generally. Except in this. Yeah. 
what's up with that? I yeah, that 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 kind of brings us back to themes and where I just I genuinely I don't know if this book or Dan Brown actually believes anything about what it's saying and I really do think that ultimately this is like a shit-stirring novel. Like I I I think that with like it's been interesting reading James Patterson books and <laughs> and being privy to his like his like car salesman approach to like self-promotion right and just going like my oh you you'll love my book your kids will love it buy one for your parents buy one for your friend like he's just he's just doing a pt barnum routine every time um and i i do think that like this book kind of feels like it is it is provoking a response that it got quite easily and i don't know how much he really buys about any of this stuff because it's not like any of his other books are about this like angels and demons there's like they've got to elect the good pope is what you were describing right like yes or or maybe the bad guys are trying to elect the bad pope or (laughs) something to that effect right something that's just like a frame for an adventure really Mm-hmm. Uh, then I don't think Lost Symbol or Origin have much to do with, like, uh, religious stuff other than, like, the fact that, you know, he, he is, he is a, a symbologist or whatever, so it'll, it'll come up, but it's, it's certainly nothing as, uh, scandalous or, uh, hot button as this book was in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels a little mercenary, maybe. You know, because all of his research was lifted from this other book, which also sounds like complete bunk, to be clear, but, like, at least was, like, putting forth a thesis. And this is just, like, warming that over and and getting it published and, and... it, you know, like like you were saying, like like Dan Brown in interviews loves to talk about how he was, uh, you know, the Catholic Church's public enemy. And... I I don't I don't know what I don't know if he knows what he's saying about the Catholic Church in this book. He does he does say that it is all all true. Ninety nine percent of it is true. All of the architecture, art, the secret rituals, the history, all of that is true. The Gnostic Gospels, all of that is all that is fiction. Of course, is that there's a Harvard Harvard symbologist named Robert Langdon, and all oh. of his action is fictionalized. But the background is all true. Oh my god. See, that's the other thing too is that there's like Robert Langdon the character, he does a like a lot of like couching of this. Like he's saying like, "Oh, you know, like uh th- yeah, the pe- like like religion as a metaphor isn't so bad and so therefore the Catholic Church apparatus shouldn't shouldn't suffer any any uh, hardship." There's the there's like uh a lot of presentation of the of the church as a like liberal institution we get like like we get we get scenes of 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 stuff like set in the vatican library right and like the astronomy wing and stuff um which does i think feel a little bit like a, a pulled punch if that makes any sense like the the this book came out in 2003 there's one mention of the uh of the child abuse sc- cover up scandal and and it and it's in a like character we're not supposed to like 
like like like like it's in Fache's description, right, of like how he reacted to that. Um, but like that's it, right? Like there is no there 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 is the, the the Catholic Church's crimes that are enumerated are sort of like well, but they have they have it in the past, and we like the current pope, so. Yeah, it it is kind of interesting the way it it, um, frames the Catholic Church as a liberal institution. In fact, we have a character who is um, like a conservative Catholic that is is seen a little bit in opposition to the liberal Catholic Church. But then uh, while he is a villain, he is kind of hand waved away at the end. I didn't even mention him in my summary, uh, partially because I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what role he plays at all. He's the bishop of the Opus Dei. Um, and he is... God, can you explain to me what the deal is with him? Because I straight up do not understand. <laughs> right, yeah. No, yeah, I think this is good because in 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 discussing this this theme in, like in particular this this idea that this book has some bone to pick with Catholicism or, and like how it handles that, it's like... Opus Day is a real, uh, uh, a real organization. Um, it does not operate anything like it, it is described in the book. Although it is, it, it is extremely conservative and uh, I would say like um, regressive in, in in like its uh, uh, theology, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the great way that like it is inaccurate is like it doesn't have monks, but there is a monk in the Da Vinci Code that is an Opus Dei monk. Like it's just like basic shit like that. That it is. It it is, and 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 which really makes it feel like Dan Brown basically like like was able to like create a sort of uh, 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 small part of the Catholic Church to like put all of the bad stuff on because it was like, Oh, well the church the you know, the Catholic church itself has been getting much more liberal under the current Pope, but there oh, there's these nasty Opus Dei guys. And they're the one, they're the ones doing all the <laughs> conservative stuff. Oh, I hate those guys, which is like, not, <laughs> it's not really how all of that works. That's a very, very simplified, uh, uh, uh way to think of like how power works. <laughs> Like in and general, they're beating their own asses. And they're beating their own asses, which <laughs> they're whipping themselves. They've got a, they've got like a, the, I can't remember the 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 search, the cinch. What is that that thing? The I don't know. The like the barbed wire <laughs> they the, put around their thighs or whatever. Yeah, that guy. That guy is doing a lot of self flagellating. Shit. Yeah, he's wearing his hair shirt. Uh, it's, it's, it's like that kind of thing. And, and so it's like, we have, we have, and I, I guess I got to hand it to Dan on this one. We have like the dualism thing going on, right? We have like the, the one, two halves of the church, but that is not really what Opus Dei is. And that's not, I, I think, I think that's a childish way to, to like write a power structure in a book that is supposedly criticizing the power structure. I mean, it was like, if you were writing, <laughs> if you were writing your, like, um, uh, your, like, amazing spy thriller slash takedown of the U.S. government, uh, yeah. you, you, you would not, well, actually, I, I was about to say you wouldn't do this, but I, actually, I guess a lot of fiction does this. Like, anytime there's, like, a, a, a bad 
spy organization or a bad military wing. It's like, oh yeah, that's the that's the secret uh, creating murder robots project or whatever. <laughs> and like that's where that's like a vehicle for you to get some like real real basic bitch like war is bad criticism or something into like a Transformers movie or something, right? Which is really the level this is operating on, but and like that's fine, but when you're doing it with like the Catholic Church, which I would say especially in 2003 uh was was maybe you you could have swung a little harder. I feel uh, it doesn't take that much research to 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 put some some more some 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 juicier uh, accusations together than like well there's uh, there's a bunch of guys who are conservative in it like wow okay <laughs> I'll get right on changing that thank you Dan even our even our main villain comments that Robert Langdon is like too soft on the Catholic Church yeah. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's he's like, oh, yeah. you're too sympathetic to those old cardinals over there at the Catholic Church because of stuff that happened in Angels and Demons. <laughs> so I presume that I guess Robert Langdon helped get this nice pope everyone loves elected. It sounds yeah, like. yeah, probably because there's a lot in there. I I never put that together. I I because I've not read Angels and Demons. I just assume they were talking about. Uh, John Paul II or whoever was Pope then. And people like that guy right. generally, you know, like, uh, but that was a, that was a very funny, a funny aside. Like I, so much of it just feels like, uh, please don't yell at me too bad stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you should just go for it. People are going to yell at him. Every time he opens his mouth, he says something just completely absurd. He loves being in trouble. He should embrace that. He should get. He should have gotten more in trouble for this book. He should have written something that would get him in more trouble. Yeah, but, why not? Might as well. The thing is, though, is that we can criticize it, and I, I do think that it, it it's a very mealy-mouthed, like, religious criticism, but at the same time... The church bit on this so hard at the time. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking under attack. It was seriously a we are fucking under attack situation. They were so <laughs> mad. You can still, if you just like Google like, like Catholic Church Da Vinci Code, half of the articles were like Vatican appoints da vinci code debunker that's it's like a job description that you can get working at the vatican <laughs> like it's crazy they were so mad about this and granted i i think maybe part of that this is me being as conspiracy brained as dan brown but like if if you are you know if your job is pr for the catholic church in 2003 you kind of grab onto what you can get and uh Making everyone yell at a book and pretending that you're like under attack, I guess that worked, maybe. <laughs> like it, it it was a good good way to like act persecuted. Yeah, and they sure did. <laughs> they sure fucking did. That is the flip side of this. For as fucking stupid as this book is, the Catholic Church really did get mad about it, which is surprising, I guess. When you read what's in here, and we'll save it I'll I'll save it for the facts section, but like this does kind of feel like they could have maybe just let it lie and 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 not made such a big deal about it because half of the book actually that's generous most of the book is nonsense uh but instead they kind of like 
gave Dan exactly what he wanted, whether, you know, whether it was a calculated move on their part or whether they were just like genuinely reacting to it. He, he, he did, he was, he, he did get real famous off of writing a book about how much they sucked. So yeah, <laughs> good for him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of am buying into your conspiracy theory a lot <laughs> that of course, like it's very easy uh, for them to be fucking under attack uh, yeah. in this case. And that seems to, seems to work out pretty well in their favor. Yeah. That's kind of the impression I get is that this was a PR win for the church in the end, because wasn't there like an official, like, like American Catholic, like party line page on like how to deal with questions about the Da Vinci code. Oh yeah. There are so many of those. Yeah. Um, and, and the, th- the thing is I get always get lured into being a little bit sympathetic because the Da Vinci code also makes me mad. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I kind of can, can get being mad a little bit. And then they say some like, like reactionary nonsense about yeah. nonsense about being like persecuted by it. And I just lose all my, all my sense of sympathy. Yeah. I mean, like it's, 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 it's easy to do that. Like there are tons of situations where if someone was saying like, yeah, like my religion is being, you know, like suppressed here or whatever, or like that's easy to sympathize with. But when you're the Catholic church, when, when you were the <laughs> Vatican, uh, it is really hard to pretend that you are not like the top dog as far as like amount of power wielded at any given moment. Right. Like uh, what was the, the thing you found the thing about like, oh, uh, uh, in the book, Robert Langdon claimed that millions of women died in, in the like Catholic witch hunts in Europe. In fact, it was somewhere between 30 to 60,000 witches and not all of them were women. Right? Like, <laughs> just w- when you were in the, when you're in a position where you have to say that kind of shit, it's like, okay, come on. <laughs> Take the L on this stupid adventure novel. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's very funny. Yeah, it's 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 easy to be sympathetic up until you remember like who this is about, right? Like I just think that maybe it's a call to do a better job, uh job with the flock if this is really gonna destabilize them so much. Yeah, that is interesting. Like if if this was such a crisis for the Catholic, like if we take them, if we take the Vatican at its word, right? That like this was a huge crisis. The faith was under attack. People were reading it and losing faith. Like if we if we take them at their at their word on that, then like, are you saying that it's true? <laughs> like 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 what's the <laughs> like? Like, what what is it about about this book that is so dangerous and alluring? Which, which bit is it? Is it the, like, completely wrong facts about Da Vinci that convince people? Or is it the completely wrong facts about, uh, 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 like, ancient pagan worship that, that did it for people? Or was it maybe the fact that, like, people were already kind of looking for the, uh, the exit ramp uh, off, out of Catholicism, maybe? Like, that, that's kind of... Yeah, like, like <laughs> I don't know if this book has any like smoking gun in it that you can point to and say like, "Damn, I would stop being Catholic if I read it." it, it I think that maybe, maybe if people are taking the Da Vinci Code as an excuse to leave or question their faith, like that, 
that problem was already in in you know they they had that thought in them already yeah um well i think this is a good segue into talking about um maybe what they're off ramping into which is uh what i think is a a sort of interesting uh, thematic component of the Da Vinci Code, which is the kind of um, like new age spirituality that yeah. it has, um, the kind of designed world, uh, but in a a new agey cool way. Which is maybe that's the maybe that's the threat to the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. This this book has a very spiritual woo understanding of the world, which. I like I I'm not saying it is wrong or bad but I do think that it is interesting that this book presents itself as like a book about like you know a man, a man of a man of academia a man of of research and science uh uh having all of these like just so facts about how stuff in the world <laughs> actually works um and his answer is just like oh yeah the, everything has a male and female aspect and it's like, okay, that doesn't actually sound any less religious than the, what the Catholics are saying, really. It's just a different religion. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones, uh, this is, it's like at the beginning of the book, but it's been making me insane since I read it, um, was the aside um, where it is a flashback of Robert teaching a class at Harvard, um, and he's explaining the... Gosh, what is it called? The like golden number. Oh, the divine the number. Yes, yes, the divine ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the divine ratio. And he he has this like dialogue with this student at Harvard um, where he says that like if you take uh, the male bees in a, any beehive in the world and divide it by the number of female bees in, in the beehive, you get the same number. Um, and And the student is like, wow, really? And he says, like, yes, really. Um, and it's like, it doesn't even pass like a second of scrutiny. No. <laughs> yeah, sorry, this is phi, right? We're talking about the, yes, the number? Yes, yes. Yeah, everything in the world can be, you can do some spiritual math to it to arrive at phi, uh, which is, the, you know, the, the golden ratio. And it's it's like, never true every single example that he lists is like not true <laughs> like the bees one is the funniest because you can just google that and it's like yeah no that's the the ratio of male to female bees is uh fluctuates constantly even, depending on many factors if, if you think about it for like two seconds it's like okay yeah. so then there it's like oh no one more bee was born <laughs> so <laughs> so the world just it falls out of balance completely yeah this is an another aspect of like the sort of like condescension angle here too is is like the, this idea that like the western world has fucked stuff up uh which you know is rooted in some truth and that to fix everything we must we must look to the the ancient peoples that actually we uh we systematically destroyed uh oppressed dismantled um, they were actually right about everything, and they were actually doing uh, magic science, and we just need to extract that. We need to squeeze one last thing out of them to understand the world, and everything will be fine. Like it, it, that's a very common New Age, like, <laughs> there, there's a sense that, like, 
reading it, you're like, oh, Dan Brown really thinks that he has like escaped the maze and sees and sees the truth and sees the world and understands that like ah that the ancients did everything right when really it's just like d- a, still a deeply like colonial mindset right of just like ah we've got to we we simply must take one more thing from these ancient religions and and apply it and fix everything right like it's mm-hmm. it, it, for for as much as this book likes to pretend that it is like above western christian thought it feels pretty much in lockstep with it uh it's still it views everything outside of that sphere as kind of a curiosity and will happily make shit up about it to uh to make their just so stories work yeah yeah here's a great quote from dan brown um the more science i studied the more i saw that physics becomes metaphysics and numbers become imaginary numbers the farther you go into science the mushier the ground gets you start to say oh there is an order and a spiritual aspect to science that's so good i love about imaginary numbers (laughs) <laughs> like i'm really bad at math but i know that imaginary numbers is like that's not what that means like, it doesn't mean imaginary <laughs> uh. yeah yeah i have another one in this funny article from the guardian where um he finally uh weighed in on the donald trump issue Ooh. Uh, to say um, oh, what he thought and that uh, Trump is is bad is is what he he it comes down to. Uh, but I I liked this last quote from him um, where he's very optimistic about the future. Uh, I'm not concerned because I deal in long history. I deal in trends that happen over centuries. To somebody else, maybe in the financial market, you might look at this and look at day by day and say this is a fiasco. If you step back, you see this Trump presidency as a blip on a much longer timeline that will write itself. We'll figure it out. Oh, wow. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Brown. You're so smart. You're so right. History is really long. (laughs) History is so long? There's a lot of history. He's so right. He's so smart. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find something about it. You know, we'll we'll get a if we figure out the divine ratio of getting young people to vote, we'll we'll just figure it out <laughs> or something. I don't know. Thank you, Dan. I mean this this whole thing is like a crazy interview. Um, he says something about how like um, he has both like liberal and conservative readers, um, but he had to finally take a stand. Oh, thank you, Dan, our hero. Yeah, there. This is a very liberal book in like the classical sense, right? Like this is this is, uh, it's 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 liberal woo about how everything everything will work out because you know God's in the numbers somewhere. <laughs> it's like well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure we'll figure it out. Yeah, who's we, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, who is who is we? That's a great. <laughs> I would love for him. I would love to sit in in a room with Dan Brown for like I just give me half an hour with him and I I would love to hear his plan to like save America. I bet it's really good. I bet it's really really smart. We, really we got- smart, definitely. <laughs> oh. 
themes. Themes, themes, themes. Themes. Is there anything else thematically that you want to talk about? Uh, let me just double check. Uh, no, I think, I think, I, I, I guess, I guess if, if I have like any, any, any last like, like thing, it's just that the, I find the, um, the feminism angle particularly funny given the characters in this book. And I think maybe that's a good way to move on into characters. Sounds great. Let's talk about our characters. Characters. Now we're cooking. This is the good shit. This is uh, the good shit. This is what uh, books are made of, right? Books are uh, live and die by their characters. And the Da Vinci Code has so many good characters, like my favorite, uh, the policeman, Mr. Angry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Bezu Fache, I think. I, 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 my French, I, I useless at it but uh that means angry in french which i i immediately thought was just very very funny the care the characters do kind of carry this in a weird way um th- i wouldn't call them good but like it is it is amusing in a way that like i think is the glue that kind of holds this thing together especially when there are as we have said four scenes in this book yeah it does Managed to be a little bit of a page turner, and that probably is on on the backs of the characters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, both both in an earnest sense, and that like I enjoyed the antagonists quite a bit, and then also in like a a, a, a sillier sense, which is that I just was like ready to devour any little factoid about Robert Langdon that the book gave me because it's full of some of the funniest, like non sequiturs and like an immediately an incredibly embarrassing character who is clearly just (laughs) Dan Brown, you know? Um, It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And it's really cute in a weird way. It is, it is just him. He made his OC him. And he's just inserting himself into these adventures where everyone thinks he's so smart and cool and sexy. Uh, Uh, Like the the first thing I, I, I'm just opening my book here. The first thing that we uh, uh, hear about him or we read about him is uh how he's going gray and oh he doesn't like it but all of his female colleagues insist the gray only accentuated his bookish appeal like it's just all shit like that constantly i love it yeah yeah i mean there there's an extended scene in the beginning too where he is flashing back to when a another professor is maybe reading a flattering like article from a magazine about how sexy he is to the class and he's he's all bashful about it yeah Although Professor Langdon might not be considered hunk handsome like some of our younger awardees, this 40-something academic has more than his share of scholarly allure. His captivating presence is punctuated by an unusually low baritone speaking voice, which his female students describe as chocolate for the ears. Dan. Come on, Dan. Dan. Oh yeah, I love I love Robert Langdon. Uh, just a to- like th- this this book. If you if you listener, if you're wondering, should I write my novel? Would my novel be good? Are my characters you know flat? I'm worried about doing you know putting a self insert into my story. Read the Da Vinci Code and just and 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 
realize that you have the power to do anything you want. This is the one of the highest selling books in the world, and it is just his fucking OC that is him in this book. It, like, you could do anything. Anything can happen. Right? Write your book. <laughs> It'll probably yeah, be- definitely. <laughs> It's motivating. Make all your characters self-inserts. Why, Why not? not? <laughs> There's a he he compares himself, or, or I guess I guess the magazine compares him to uh, Harrison Ford in Harris Tweed. Uh, it's like it's all about how sexy and cool he is. It's great. Nobody is bashful about it. Yeah, and he has some quirks too. Like he wears a Mickey Mouse watch. Yep. Yep, he does. He does wear a Mickey Mouse watch. He's um claustrophobic, uh, which comes up twice. This can I read my this this is maybe my favorite line in any book that we have read. Uh Okay. Uh yeah, here we go. So uh uh Fache, the the, the detective is like, we'll take the elevator. Fache said as the lift doors opened, as I'm sure you're aware, the gallery is quite a distance on foot. Although Langdon knew the elevator would would expedite the long two-story climb to the Denon wing, he remained motionless. Is something wrong? Fache was holding the door, looking impatient. Langdon exhaled, turning a long glance back up the open-air escalator. Nothing's wrong at all, he lied to himself, trudging back towards the elevator. As a boy, Langdon had fallen down an abandoned well shaft. (laughs) <laughs> oh masterful writing oh when's that prequel coming out <laughs> it's the one about Langdon stuck in the well how did he symbols his way out of that one that's a great question did <laughs> how do you come down on the symbology thing how how mad <laughs> slash amused does that make you um that's such a good question. I think at this point, amused, right? <laughs> but why? I Okay, not even amused. I think it's just like mildly puzzled. Like how, how as an author do you arrive at that point for your main character? Yeah, the thing, the thing I want to know is that like, this is a real job to some degree in that like, semiotics is a field of study right Mm -hmm. and does dan brown know that slash did he look at that and go oh no 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 that's way too complicated to say it's symbology oh is there like is there like a marketing genius in here where he was like no this is not gonna cut it for the masses he's a symbologist that's kind of what i wonder because like it's close to a real i mean this book is like close to being like a like a dumb guy version of Foucault's pendulum, right? So like maybe maybe it's a semiotics riff and he just chose a like easier word, but like it's <laughs> What if it was the publisher? Ooh. Yeah, possibly. I I wonder. I do wonder how much sway cuz cuz Angels and Demons and Digital Fortress like did okay as far as I know. But, like, he certainly, I, I doubt he had, like, J.K. Rowling level, like, fuck you, like, editor sway, right? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That would be funny if you could pin that one on the publisher. It's just, I, 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 I like to imagine that he came up with symbology 
as like either either just purely in a vacuum because he made it up or assumed it was real or because he was just like no no semiotics nobody will know what the <laughs> fuck that is i mean he could have just been a historian or any right. number of fields that he appears to be an expert in it, it's so funny how like there there's this sort of like fake humility in a lot of uh, like a lot of the, the Langdon stuff you know cuz like the character is like like you said like kind of bashful about his introduction and stuff and like he kind of scoffs at the article calling him like the most intriguing man uh, in the field or whatever but it it you can tell that we're supposed to think that he is like actually respected in this because there's like that phone call with his editor where like he owns his editor by showing him that all of his sources are like respected guys or whatever. (laughs) Did you feel like the book was like gaining self-awareness during that scene? Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. It's so weird. It's such a bizarre, like that. This whole book has the tone of a chick tract. Um, <laughs> which, like, like this is a liberal chick tract in that, like, the, every character who is wrong is given the information and goes, but surely that can't be true. And then the protagonist is like, yes, it is. And once more, here's another <laughs> fact about Jesus or whatever. Except in this case, they're doing it about like, yep, that's right. Uh, Amon was the god of fertility, you know, just like really, <laughs> like. Uh, a more cosmopolitan version of Chick Tracks, but like <laughs> that scene, especially where his editor is like, "But, but this this attribution, it's from Professor Teabing, and he's a he's a real professor or whatever," is just so funny. Yeah, I mean, there's even. Uh, uh, gosh, what does he call him? The publisher is like, "This isn't some schlock. This is." These are real historians. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, it's like, by, by but Scott. But it, it, like, is citing real books that are nonsense. Like, the Da Vinci Code does. It cites Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Like, it's, oh, it just drives me crazy. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm like, like I said, I'm vibrating with power. The fucking facts of this book. When we get to the I facts. Know it. Oh, my God. But, um. Yeah, the, the 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 way he is presented is so stupid, but it's very compelling in a way that just like like I just wanted to know more. I I couldn't wait to read the next embarrassing thing about how handsome or smart he was, you know. So like that kept me on the hook for sure. Yeah, yeah. How about our um our female lead, Sophie? Sophie, she she sure sure solved the puzzle. Uh, she sure know anagram good. She, she she knows what the Fibonacci sequence is. <laughs> yeah, Yay, Sophie. I it is we- so like this book is a James Bond story, right? Just without like the guns and the the car chases and stuff. Really, um, there are some guns. That's true. There are some guns. Um, but like it's it's like it's like like liberal thinking man james bond right that's Um, right but it's so funny how sophie has like even less to do than like the average bond girl she she has the one 
puzzle that she cracks in the, in the Louvre where she's like, oh, this is the Fibonacci sequence or whatever. She's wrong about P.S. Fine Robert Langdon. I guess they both are. Um, and uh, she gets like one sequence where she like picks up the painting and is like uses it as leverage against the security guard. But then after that, it's like it's like those were like the vertical slice in Dan Brown's mind. Like he was just like, Oh, and this is all the cool stuff my heroine will do. And then like, as soon as they leave the museum, she has nothing. Like she is just there to ask Robert questions. So he can go great questions, Sophie. Uh, well, bees uh, have, are f- f- part of the divine ratio or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. She exists to have things explained to her. I think the um, biz- biggest example is she is the receiver of the knowledge of the Holy Grail mm-hmm. uh, during the scene where Teabing and Langdon just kind of explain it to her. Um, and they explain it to her in such a way where they're like, everybody knows this except for you. <laughs> That whole scene is so crazy. The fucking they get to Teabing's house and and these two guys are just like having a great time shooting the shit while she's there like asking like um who is Mary Magdalene? Like it's so <laughs> it's so weird. It is so fucking weird. They are being real jerks to her. I found this like academic paper about the Da Vinci Code and the thesis of the paper was like, the Da Vinci Code is not very feminist and here's <laughs> why. And one, and one of the things was like, Sophie, uh, for a feminist novel, she is really sidelined and has to have things explained to her constantly. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's definitely true. I just don't know if anyone was out here going like, damn, this was a real, really feminist book. Like, you know, it says it it talks about the divine feminine a lot, but that's different. You know, like, there's, there is the part. Did you like the part where um, Dan Brown has Robert Langdon, uh, like, talk about how much, uh, how much he likes eating pussy and it really impresses all of the female students? Oh, yeah, that was really, really good. And he shouldn't have been fired immediately for it. <laughs> that, yeah, that is that is the that. Is, so Dan Brown is the mo- the guy who is like most in trouble. He loves being in trouble. Robert Langdon is Mr. Too Damn Fired. If that would really happen. That is crazy. <laughs> there's, this yeah. whole, there's this whole scene where like, what even prompts that? Was it talking about was it Sophie talking about the sex ritual? That prompted that was flashback? It? I think it was. It must be. Like Robert Langdon just has this flashback to when some guys in his class were like, I like fucking pussy a lot because I'm a man. And then he's like, uh-uh, try eating pussy, sir. And the guy is really owned. And there's this, there's this line like where it's like oh all the female students were really impressed were really they nodded knowingly they nodded knowingly fact, i'm like dan you're what the <laughs> fuck like <laughs> if my college professor was talking like that i would like leave the classroom holy shit that's crazy 
Yeah, and this is all while Sophie is is like recounting this traumatic experience. Where he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> it's not traumatic. It's an ancient sex ritual. Yeah. Your grandpa was in a cult. It's fine. Oh my oh, god. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> These incredible thank characters. Thank you for explaining this to me. <laughs> These incredible characters. Sophie is like, you know, I have I have this this really dark hang-up. You know, I, I walked into my grandfather having a like crazy exhibitionist sex ritual and it's really like fucked with like my my concept of like you know who he was as a person and like my relationship to religion and honestly a little bit you know my relation with sexuality and 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 robert langdon is just like looking out the window like vaping and going like yeah yeah there was this time at my college where like i told all the all the <laughs> girls in the class that like don't worry i i'd be the one in the kitchen and they really liked it <laughs> it's just like crazy what is like he is like the, the the craziest like juvenile conception of like what uh like a feminist character would be right like it's 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 compelling in a really stupid way yeah, I mean, I mean, the worst part to me is that I can see some like good character stuff here. Like, if Sophie just really did go like fucking ballistic on this guy yeah. and was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, yeah, are you, you're just you're just telling me facts, and I had to had to see my grandpa fucking like you don't understand <laughs> at all. But none of that happens, right? Because because Sophie like exists to be told things to. Yeah. yeah. She she is okay with it the instant that uh that Robert explains it to her, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a I, I would say it's a shame, except like I don't I don't know what the the <laughs> or rather, I, I see what the good version could be, right? Because cause that is it hundred percent, right? If these were real characters, Sophie would have gone like, okay, buddy, like you need to seriously get your shit together if we're gonna like keep working on this, right? Like, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine I can't imagine what the like Dan Brown version of that is, you know? And it's I, yeah, I don't there's no there's no character conflict. No. They they have zero conflict. The 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 the, the strongest thing they have is that she believes that Langdon is right, and so she is going to help him. That's it. She could leave at any point in this story, honestly, and probably should have. Like, just, just to, like, be like, you know what? You guys have fun explaining Mary Magdalene to each other or whatever. I'm going to, like, go home. <laughs> like, it's, like, 6 a.m. I'm leaving. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, her her character motivation is that, like, her grandpa, like, before he died was like, I need to tell you the secret of your family. Right. So that's what she is like. I got to find out the secret. Yeah. It's, it's really telling too that like the big secret is that she's like technically related to Jesus, you know? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't like matter. (laughs) Like that doesn't mean anything in this story. (laughs) Because <laughs> do, do we even get like a scene where she like processes that, or is she just like wow? And then, I don't know. Is she Christian? But, <laughs> well, I have no idea. I don't know. I know nothing about Sophie. Sophie is a non-character. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that that would probably matter uh, on her reaction to it, yeah. or not, or specifically not Christian or. Or what, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> I guess she's going back to her, like, puzzle-solving job at the Paris Police Department. 
She's a cryptographer. Is that one real? That's real, right? That's like code, that a code breaker. Real. Yeah, okay. Okay. Cryptographer is real. So she got a real job, at least. Not not Langdon. Yeah, when you read the Da Vinci Code, you just got to be like, this feels real. Or like, this feels <laughs> fake. That's kind of the... <laughs> that's just like how you got to play it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't. She just doesn't get much to do. What? What? Do you, is there anything? Does anything stand out to you about her? Is there any like? Honestly, I'm just going crazy that I don't even know if she's Christian. Like, <laughs> I, n- like the more I'm thinking about that, I'm like, okay, so she was raised by her grandpa because her whole family died, and did her grandpa, who was in the crazy like goddess worship sex cult, did he like raise her Christian or like? or nothing or kind of occurring to me that she found out that she was related to Jesus. And we didn't really find out how she felt about that at all. And, and also like in the world of this, I mean like this is complete fucking nonsense and, and I'll get into it more in the facts section, but like, like uh, this, this book posits that she's like heir to like the throne of the tribe of Benjamin or whatever. Yeah. like she doesn't have she at no point does she ask like so what does that mean you know what i mean like mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god yeah she's she doesn't get much to do it's kind of sad um but she did solve that first one she she like does the move where she like holds the painting out and is like if you shoot this painting it'll be like 15 million dollars or whatever and that's like kind of fun and then she just stops doing stuff I guess this would be a good time for us to talk about the puzzles. Um, Not specifically that I want to talk about any of them um, for their own sake. But I would say that she's like relatively instrumental in solving the like puzzles that her grandfather left behind. And I like skipped over them completely because they don't they don't matter. But there's like a bunch of riddles in the book. Yeah. It kind of, um, my pet peeve, uh, of this book might be that, um, all of the riddles work the same way. Like they are all like plays on words. Um, yeah. and yet the characters never seem to catch on and they keep like going to locations to try to solve them instead of realizing that they are just like self-contained play on words. Um, but yeah. Sophie Sophie kind of does the riddles, right? Yeah, or like she'll like half solve them and be like this is the solution and then Robert Langdon can go like ah ah actually there's a second meaning or something, right? Like Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, the puzzles just as an aside, the puzzles in this are like so baby. These are these are really these are like sub like Zelda dungeon puzzles. These are not particularly strenuous <laughs> like they're mostly anagrams um yep anagrams in not the language that the person who wrote them would have uh uh constructed them in which is my favorite detail um mm-hmm. but like uh i the 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 other one is is there sometimes shapes puzzles um and langdon's really bad at those 
uh, the, he there's a part where he figures out that he has to look for uh, an, a tri- uh, like a triangle pointing up and a triangle pointed down, and they're standing in a building that has like a, a big star of David on the floor, and he like doesn't. <laughs> he's like, well, that now that's well, there. There aren't triangles here, and he like takes him like way too long to figure this out he's really but he's stupid. a symbologist i know it's, it's his job your job is to know that there's triangles in the star of david dude that's your that's what you're a professor of crazy and did, did you have the star of david printed in your book at that point yeah it, it, it made okay. it so fucking funny because it was like <laughs> it was on it was on like opposite pages you know like i could open the book and see like the the two triangles on on the left page and the star of david on the right page and in between it was just him going but that's that's Im- there's no triangles in here where are the triangles <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> That's the appeal of the Da Vinci Code. It makes you feel really smart. It, 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 it's like uh, there's there's parts of this book where they like uh, f- waste a bunch of time, like saying that the puzzle is impossible to solve when you've probably already figured it out. That feel like like those like kids shows. Like it's like a Door of the Explorer thing where they're like, "Can you find where Swiper is?" And you're like, "Yeah, motherfucker, <laughs> he's right there." And they're like, "I can't see him." <laughs> they're like robert the triangles are on the floor you're standing on them dude swipers right there yeah (laughs) it's like for your it's like they're pausing for your benefit as the reader it's great yeah well let's talk about our 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 best puzzle solver um t-bing so the antagonists are way fucking cooler t-bing t-bing rocks yeah, I'm kind of on T-Bing's side. T-Bing is a really fun character. They they like Dan wrote him as this like kind of boorish intellectual guy. Uh and he's like he he's fun to read. He adds some flavor. Uh he has some of the um more embarrassing puzzle solving flubs but i guess it's 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 easy to forgive him because he's probably pretending to not solve it right like he's he's doing mastermind shit that's right um my favorite is when he uh he looks at the backwards writing puzzle do you remember that Oh, that killed me. He looks because it's, it's printed. It's printed in the book, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you can see, you can see that it's backwards writing, and both Langdon, Sophie, and him are just like we don't recognize these characters at all. They look like nothing we've ever seen before. And and I think it's Teaving that comes in with like the the number one like smart sounding banger that is like plainly one of the stupidest things he could have thrown out there where you're looking at it and it's clearly backwards English. And it's just got some, like some like loop de loops on it. Cause it's handwriting <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's, and he's like, Oh, uh, does it look like a Semitic language? And I'm just like, this is your job, dude. You are the, you are the languages guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Darn. It's so good. It, he, he, but, but, he is the coolest guy. He has he like I'm a sucker for a good villain reveal. He's uh he's he's got a lot to say about uh the last supper, <laughs> I guess, about the letter M and the letter W and knives and who John the Baptist is. 
Um, uh, but he's at least by nature of like being the like secret villain. It's kind of fun to like see him lead the characters on like that, I guess. I still think it's real weird that the villain's aim is to reveal the secret. Yeah. It, I, it, it, it I, does. <sighs> it does feel backwards, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I'm really stuck on that for this whole novel that we really are on the side of the, of the cult. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is, it, 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 I think that it just kind of speaks to how little this book actually has to say. And that I think that this is a choice that was just made purely to be a swerve rather than like say anything. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, like, it, this is a book where there's a twist every, like uh, there twists every like 10 pages, right? Like everything is treated as a big reveal. And the final one is of course that, um, Teabing is the bad guy and that he wants to reveal the secret to destroy the Catholic church. And if we, if we pretend that that would really happen, um, like he has the one, he is the one with like actual material motivation because this whole book up until this point has been about all of the crazy things that the Catholic church has done and like has suppressed. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, we, we begin with the puzzle that's like so dark, the con of man. Right. And like how, like in, in this, in this book's vision of the world, the Catholic church has like, has like orchestrated like every bad thing that's happened to a non-Catholic religion and like, uh, gender relations and, 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 and everything. And, and so they, kind of are the villain in this world up until the point where uh it turns out that langdon actually kind of like kind kind of likes the pope i guess like it's weird yeah it just it really threw me off because i i was sort of on board the whole time until this final confrontation where i was just like i was caught off guard by us just being un- unquestionably on the side of the like fact suppression team. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's a, there's a nugget of truth. I think to what Langdon says where, where he, uh, he trusts that people have the capacity to think in metaphor or to think spiritually and, and understand that like logical thinking and spiritual thinking are like kind of different modes, right? Like he, 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 that's his sort of like grand, uh, uh, appeal to teabing at one point right sure or 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 like to the reader but like in that case surely he would be on the side of revealing the truth as well then yeah because you have to you have to trust people yeah to <laughs> to do that right yeah, like he has this whole monologue about how like you know oh people you know people can be trusted not a, you know not everyone uses religion as a cudgel it's a it's a it's a spiritual tool. It's a, it's a salve. It's, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, like all the stuff that is like, you know, reasonable, true. Um, and then he's like, and that is why we should like, <laughs> he's, he's like the guy arguing to like stay in Plato's cave. He's like, but the, you know, the, we should keep on doing the hand puppets for them. They love it. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's it's yeah it's not a very compelling argument and in fact he's sort of just like making teabing's argument for him it feels like i don't understand why like the the worst like teabing 
had the Priory guys assassinated. That seems yeah, like that a, was messed up. <laughs> that seems like a mistake. I think that you could probably do this without doing that. <laughs> probably. <laughs> like, I think it actually was a little counter to his plan since they had the information that he needed. And he yeah. Had them killed. All of this also is really funny to think about because it's like, oh, you're going to find some documents that prove that like <laughs> what? That like religion is fake. Like, okay. <laughs> Democracy dies in darkness, ass book. In some ways, this is like the Sophie scene is this final confrontation because Langdon's like has no motivations in this entire book. Yeah. Um, he's like forced on this adventure, but I don't think that he f- feels strongly about whether the secret is revealed or not, or what to do with the secret. He just has a general reverence for it. Uh, But it is during the confrontation scene that Sophie is like, no, I don't want him to get it because he killed my grandpa. And that just appears to be like the party line once that, (laughs) once that said. Um, So, so this is, this is her motivation. That's sort of taking over what the reader's motivation is. It would have been cool if like, uh, Langdon and like Teabing sort of like had like just agreed tentatively or something, and then Sophie just like shot Teabing. Yeah, and was just like, yeah. and was just like, fuck that guy. Like he killed my grandpa. What's wrong with you? I mean, like that would be right. kind of thematically fitting in a way because it's like Langdon is always obsessed with like the spiritual rather than the material, right? And just like mm-hmm. have a moment of like Sophie having this moment of just like. Stop coming up with like riddles to justify everything you're doing. Like, like, like I'm I'm gonna get this guy. Like, fuck him. Yeah. That would that would have made a lot more sense and given Sophia a cool ending, I think. Yeah. I agree. Um, but I I do like I love a good mastermind reveal, especially one that makes me realize that the guy had to be running around like between Westminster Abbey and the park that he was killing Silas in doing a different <laughs> voice, talking to different, like the logistics of the teabing teacher thing are amazing. Like, like he's like making like muffled phone calls in the bathroom and like, <laughs> and like on the plane and like going to the park and doing a French accent to talk to a Ringarosa and stuff. All of that is very funny to think about the, the, this, this amazing mastermind of just like doing silly voices. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about Silas and a Ringarosa? Yeah. The opus- I feel like these, these ones I like missed talking about this cause they feel, well, they feel like red herrings a little bit. Yeah. And there's some significance to that too. There is. Bishop Arangarosa's name is Italian for red herring. That's cute. I like that. I like that I like that Mr. Angry is the policeman and I like that Mr. Red Herring is the bishop. I think that's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. Um I th- these guys like didn't matter <laughs> like at all. <laughs> no. Uh, Nothing, which is really funny because the Opus Dei stuff is like the most salacious bit of the novel, right? Or like intended to be like, like, oh, this is the, this is the secret shit the Catholic Church doesn't want you seeing, right? Um, But it's like, 
one, it's like all like factually wrong. And, and, and then two, they don't matter to the story. However, I will say as characters, they are like weirdly compelling. I think especially Aringa Rosa, even though none of his shit makes any sense, I just enjoy whenever it was an Aringa Rosa chapter because he like for once, Dan Brown was like forced to write a character whose like opinions he didn't share. Right. And like had to like make him like justify stuff to himself and like, like uh, had to like put himself in the shoes of like a conservative faithful guy. And I think he did for a thriller. I think he did like an okay job of that. Like it was fun to read. Sure. Honestly, way more than reading his protagonist who I just thought was like funny. You know, like, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. there's nothing, like, particularly heroic or compelling about Langdon in the book. I just thought that it was, I, I enjoyed reading it to, like, learn about his Mickey Mouse watch. But during Rosa and Silas, it's like, oh, at least these are characters and not Dan Brown, you know? Yeah, they kind of got their own little story. Like, they got their own story that didn't matter to the main story at all. Yeah, I truly don't understand what T-Bing's plan with them was. Uh, Me either. I, I, (laughs) so can we talk about the logistics of this? Yeah. Yeah. So T-Bing is the mastermind teacher and the, the Bishop is the Bishop of the Opus Dei. Yeah. And Silas is a monk of the Opus Dei. And Teaming needed to use Silas to do his dirty work. That part I get, right? He needed him to go and do some murders. He needed him to like extract this information and go on this hunt for the Holy Grail. Was Aringa Rosa just there as like how he ended up in contact with Silas? Yeah. Because he sent he sent Aringa Rosa on this like quest to go get some money in Vatican bonds. And I straight up feel (laughs) I'm like, there is a plot point of the Da Vinci Code that I just straight up do not understand. What was the money for? (laughs) So Aringa Rosa, as far as I can tell, so he was like, he was the go-between for for the teacher slash teabing and... Silas. So he was like the the I, I've got a job for you guy. And then he farmed that out to Silas. Um that part I sort of get. What I don't understand is like why we needed to see so many scenes of him getting paid. <laughs> like why that mattered. Like why how he got the money, how much he got, in what form it came in. I don't understand why that's important to us, the reader. There was that whole chapter. In fact, there was like three chapters because we saw we saw Ringo Rosa on the plane, in the rental car, and at the the church where he like got the briefcase of money. Yeah, and, and like at no point does like the mission change other than like he's getting phone calls from Silas, and Silas is like. Hey, 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 oh, uh, I fucked up, boss. I killed a, a nun. And oops, I, um, I, I, <laughs> the keystone was a ruse. Um, but like, he's just being thwarted on a plane <laughs> trip, basically, to go and get money that we don't care what he's doing with it or like what it's for. I certainly don't care what form it came in, but the book is really concerned 
uh, with letting us know that it's in Vatican bonds, which will create some sort of dead man switch situation where if, if it comes back to him, the, everyone will know that the Vatican can't cut ties with him because they gave him Vatican bonds or something. I don't know why. And I also think that maybe trying to pay for stuff in Vatican bonds is like way more suspicious than cash. But, uh, yeah. So was he going to pay teaming for the Holy grail? Like, was that what he thought he was doing? I, <sighs> maybe? I know that what, like, and so was teaming going to kill him? Instead, because there's this like throwaway line where he's like, if something went wrong, it would be traced back to the Vatican. And I'm like, if what went wrong? <laughs> right. Like, and, and, and in what way does that help? If he's getting the grail and something went wrong with that, and then the people found out that the money for the thing came from the Vatican, then... But... <laughs> All I'm saying, I get that he's a red herring, but I don't think red herring just means doing nonsense. Yeah, I I truly don't get what his plan was. I I got his motivation. I enjoyed his, like perspective on the story but yeah if if like let's see what wikipedia has like what's the most basic breakdown of aringa rose's plan i've already tried no 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 joy nothing i I even tried the da vinci code wiki i tried the villains wiki (laughs) um i've left really i've really worked on this because i got to the end and i was like why do i not understand a plot point of the da vinci code yeah because not a difficult read no but but yeah like so he he is on a plane he is talking to the teacher the teacher says our plan is in motion and he's like yes sir wait we have killed the the oh this is actually my favorite part so so um Something that I have neglected to point out about both uh, Teabing and Aringa Rosa is that they are both fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> I love the part where the teacher and the Aringa Rosa have this like ominous bad guy phone call where Aringa Rosa is like, yes, all all four of the of the priory are dead. And they all said the same thing. And it's like, oh, <laughs> so. So definitely, it was definitely true, and not a rehearsed thing. Then <laughs> I, I believe them. If oh, I killed four spies, and they all told me the exact same story. Oh, that's convenient. Oh, I wonder if I should take this face back. Like, like them just be. Also, they these are like two conservative Catholic guy, or I guess Teabing's just pretending to be one. But these are like two like super catholic historian guys they don't know what a fucking keystone is <laughs> they think it's like a keystone like they're on fucking legend of the hidden temple they're like oh we need we need the keystone to to activate the jade monkey like no the, <laughs> the keystone motherfucker in the keystone like architectural term that's a real thing like that's so funny that none of them assume that immediately and and of course that is then later on proven to be another red herring but the fact that they're fr- these two insanely catholic guys who probably like get a stiffy when they think about the concept of a cathedral don't know what a keystone <laughs> is are you kidding me what's going on dan dan's the only one who knows he did the research <laughs> it's so funny 
the keystone is the thing that makes archways work. <laughs> like it's that that would be the first thing they think of. It's so funny that they're just like, yes, these four spies all had a prepared story for us. I believe it. And the keystone is hidden under this statue or whatever. Like, oh and my! They, and they killed them. The last, <laughs> the last guys who know. Yeah. So it wouldn't. So they think Teabing as the teacher is it wants is is tricking them into thing is tricking Eringarosa. And the and and Silas into thinking that these guys are about to about to do it right. They're about to release the secret. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. And but really, he wants he wants them to discover it so he can then presumably kill it and take it from them. Yes. I, I, but I guess so. I don't. No, why we need to see Ringarosa go on a magic goose uh, wild goose chase to get his money. I don't I don't get that part still. That that is that eludes me. And like I get that the money is a red herring, but again, it, a red herring isn't just doing random stuff. Yeah. And also it's not a, like I it's not a very good red herring when we knew that there was a teacher all along, right? Right. Yes. Because we know that there's a, a mysterious shadowy, villain yeah. figure that isn't a Ringarosa. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that we have, like, a, a long daisy chain of villains, because we have Silas, who is, like, the, the classic thriller, like, dirty work guy. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then we have a Ringarosa who would normally be, like, the like the ringmaster or whatever, but instead he is also this other guy's dirty work guy. But he's like a totally unnecessary character. Uh, like I, yeah, I. There's no reason Teabing couldn't have just found Silas, really. Yeah, I think that's the part that really bothers me. Where I, th- we have a Ringer Rosa as just this like not this middle man for yeah. no reason. Yeah, I, I I really think that it's because this book needed like a conservative bishop to have in it, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Because that's how like the the scandalous parts work, is that it need like I I need I need to show how how scary Opus Day and how how powerful they are. But like all he does is like take phone calls and get owned. <laughs> so like he's not that scary, really. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Silas is already the scary conservative monk, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and is a lot more like sympathetic too, like. Aringa Rosa is really funny too because Aringa Rosa gets like uh he gets like redeemed at the end. Or, yeah, why? Or not really redeemed, I guess, but like he gets this like so there's this moment that I thought was really great for the character where he d- despite if I you know if I think too, think too hard about like why he's in the plane it, I it falls apart but like the part where he is in the plane they're chasing uh uh Langdon and Teabing. Um, and he like desperately wants the pilot to change course. And he's like, I will bribe you. You know, I will give you anything. And the pilot's like Vatican bonds. These are stupid. (laughs) Um, and so the, and then the pilot like hints that like, well, that ring of yours looks pretty expensive. And, and he's like, but this ring represents my, you know, it's my faith. It's my life's work. I'm a Bishop. It's what says I'm a Bishop. Um, but then he takes it off and gives it to the pilot. Right. 
and mm-hmm. it's like i mean it's really basic but it's a great scene of just like oh so like his religion is easily compromised right like he he will right. he will just give it up to get what he wants um and i thought that was like a really solid scene then at the end uh like inspector fache comes and like gives him the ring back <laughs> Like, <laughs> like here, and it's like meant to be this like ah, like you put it as like it's an aw shucks moment, right? Like, like I got your yeah, dang, I got your dang ring back, uh, and it's like oh, well, I wasn't really rooting for him to get it back, but okay, like the the guy that I felt way more bad for was Silas, who had like a hard life. And he was like sort of an outcast, and he was like thrust into a into a life of crime by some guys who were using him. I feel like he deserves a little a little send off way more a than little like, aw shucks. Yeah. yeah, I would aw shucks for Silas, not for Rosa. Sure. <laughs> Very weird, weird priorities in this book. This book loves rich people. I think that's like a really important uh, thing about it is that yeah touching back on some themes here yeah being rich is awesome all of the good guys are are, all the good guys and redeemed guys are like rich or or at least like in polite society right uh um the, the 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 uh the fact that the the secret sex cult that we're supposed to like be like oh okay that is that does that does make sense when you put it that way it's like it says it's like all of like Paris's rich and powerful or whatever. It's like, oh, oh, well, okay. I guess they're I guess they get to have crazy sex parties. Cool. Yeah. I yeah. support that, I guess. Very weird. Yeah, and T Bing is like well, I guess T Bing is is the op because he's a villain, right? Yeah. But he's like comically rich. Yeah, he's too rich. He's like yeah. he's in, he's like, you know, garishly rich. But not, you know, he should have just stuck to having sex parties in the in in one one uh, nice house. He has two. He has like two nice houses. So that's like <laughs> that's too many. He still feels like the good guy to me. It, I mean, I it's, that's what's killing me. It's all out of whack. I, it's a little uncomfortable given the timing of the book. I gotta say, if the argument of the book in two thousand three is that like if you come into possession of documents that would be dangerous to the Catholic Church. Sit on them. They've suffered enough. Huh? Seriously. Huh? <laughs> <Just> the, <laughs> um, I I still think that the uh, all of the sex party scenes in this book are written like Dan is angling for an invite because he thinks they're real. Oh, 100%. He thinks <laughs> like, it's very, very scintillating. He's like, please, no, I know Eyes Wide Shut is bad. I know that it makes you guys look bad. Please, please, can I come to one? Like, it just... Like addressed to some like non-existent uh, cult that he thinks is real. He's going, please, can I come? Please, it would be so. It would be so feminist of me to it go to a sex party. So feminist of me to go to a sex party. I'll see God when I come. Please. <laughs> I know all the stuff about it. Please, God, come on. I forgot that that's what the explanation was. <laughs> Sorry, Sophie, your grandpa was seeing God while he came. <laughs> That's so, so good, so it's too. it's fine. It's so good, <sighs> too, because if, if your ultimate thing of, of uh, your ultimate feminist statement is like, yeah, it's a, it's a woman's job to get nutted in so a guy can see God, it's like, huh, okay, Dan, thank you. Uh. <laughs> 
Robert Langdon. What a character. What a character. Did you, um, did you like the part where he uh, recounted all the Disney movies he'd seen and cried? Oh, because of all the rich symbolism in them? <laughs> he was so moved by all the symbolism in Disney movies. Yeah, and that part in The Lion King where they, if you look at the pattern of the dust from when Simba lays down, it spells out sex. <laughs> I fully think that Dan Brown thinks that's true. He, You watch The Lion King with Dan Brown, and he's like pausing it and pointing it. It, you know, pointing it out to you and going like, look, it's real. It's real. Look, it spells out sex. It spells out sex. Isn't that crazy? I just, the, the picture of Robert Langdon, this like hyper sexy professor of, of smart guy stuff being a Disney adult is really funny to me. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, I'm like, like totally prophetic, but like, re- like just imagining him like as a mo- like imagine if they did like a new like version of the Da Vinci Code where he was like a vlogger, he was like a Disney vlogger or something. I would love. He's that. like going on the Disney cruise every year. He's pointing out all the hidden Mickey's. That's the symbology part. <laughs> he knows where they all are. <laughs> Characters. A lot of characters. characters. Got to hand it to Dan. There are a lot of characters in this book. Yeah. Can we talk about my favorite character? Please. Uh, the banker. Mr. Rolex. <sighs> Mr. Rolex. There's a um, uh, scene I touched on in the summary where they're stuck at the bank and the banker, who I think his entire motivation is the PR for the bank and he doesn't want anyone to get arrested at the bank sneaks them out in an armored car. But then he is conflicted by his other motivation, which is loyalty to Sophie's like grandpa. And so he sees on the news that they maybe murdered him. And so he stops and like gets them at gunpoint. He's like, I'm taking my property back to the bank. He's so cool. I don't, I don't know what the point of him was, but he was awesome. I don't know what the point was. And also he got like a point of view adventure. Like we, we got, <laughs> we got, got him little... in first person. We, we get the great scene where he's like in disguise as a driver for the bank and the police stop him. And he's like bullshitting about how, Oh, I've got a delivery to make uh, pronto. And they're like, Oh, do all the drivers wear Rolexes? And he's like, uh, it's a fake Rolex. And they're like, okay, bye. <laughs> Oh, and he's doing all this, like, fake working class, like, routine thing where he's like, oh, they don't pay me enough to know what's in the bag. Which is amazing, because he's their boss. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're the boss, and your impression of your workers is, oh, my boss is such an asshole, he doesn't pay me enough, it's so good. Like, well, dog, you should pay your guys, baby. Uh, um, it's so funny uh so do you want to know what my prediction was based on all this because i completely for i completely memory hold the sex party stuff yeah what i was reading this and i was like oh the thing sophie's conflicted about is that she saw like her grandpa kissing this guy or something and they were well they were like old gay guys I kind of wondered that too. Cause it's, cause it's, it's perfect, right? Like it's, it's that it's, it's this book is from 2003 where that would have been like suitably scandalous, right? Like, like, especially given like the other subject matters of the book. Right. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. This is going to be like, Sophie has some like weird internalized homophobia that she has to get over or something. That makes sense. Um, but no, <laughs> no, 
<laughs> Nothing that interesting, I guess. No, no, it was a sex party, but don't worry, it's no big deal. It was it was heterosexual, which is divine, by the way. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I was convinced. I was like, oh, that's why this guy matters, because he's going to be like her her grandpa's lover or something cool like i just just assuming that this book was like touching on more 2000s hot button issues right um mm-hmm. and it super did not no no implication of that whatsoever the, the banker just like disappears from the story after they like steal his truck yeah i think there's even just like a it like ties up the loose ends by being like oh well he was actually really good friends with her grandpa and that's why he cared about the contents of the safety deposit box the end they like slammed a like armored car door into his face i hope he's okay yeah (laughs) i hope so too those things are heavy yeah (sighs) i'm trying to think of like oh there's a very important character that we've missed oh super 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 important um yeah the librarian who explains how to do a google search to them Oh, of course. The Boolean search terms. <laughs> this is a full chapter of the book. From her point of view at times. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is when I was like, oh, right. He wrote Digital Fortress. Because it's like, he is so fascinated by the most basic functions of a computer that he dedicated an entire chapter to explaining how a, how like a tag search works. It's so good. It's, it's so like anticlimactic that T-Bing gets kidnapped. They don't have the cryptex anymore. All they have is this memorized riddle and they're like, what do we do? Uh, neither of us have any leads. So let's go and do a Google search at the library. It's so fucking funny. I mean, if anything, it tells you that like, Dan at least was like reading books for all his research, I guess, because this is this is a uh, this is a Google search, uh, a Boolean string search described by someone who has just discovered what that is. It's so charming. Yeah, yeah. Like this book is from two thousand three. That was like pretty outdated then. Like, I think Google already had like keyword search at that point like 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 as as we understand it now rather than like Mm -hmm. doing like like tag string boolean stuff like i remember having to learn did you do you ever did you ever have to learn boolean in school oh yeah yeah the the librarian taught us yeah in fact yeah i had the same experience and like i never used it because i would just like look it up on google instead right like Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very, very funny scene. Uh, this is like the in lieu of a car chase, basically, is we get a like, oh, yeah, a clock is this ticking is... Google search, yeah, right in front of the climax. <laughs> it's, it's so, this is the best selling book on earth. This is the most famous thriller. Everyone owns a copy, everyone has read this book. The the biggest action sequence is a search, uh, a word search part. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I think that's all um, of the characters that we've got. Uh, Lots of, lots of characters and somehow so few. Um, (laughs) I think that we're going to look at uh, making this a two-parter because I know that we have the facts coming up. 
yeah. which I think is going to take us a little longer than uh, we might have time for this eve. Um, but maybe we could do a couple questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do a few of these of these Patreon questions and then we will uh we will give ourselves a long runway to talk about facts uh and then some whatever closing thoughts we have on the Da Vinci Code. Um Wonderful. Okay. This question comes from Aim McCann. Hot or not, the monk guy torturing himself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this question. We got some good ones. Such a good question. I'm gonna go with not because uh, I think that the like the it 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 seems easily infected. You know the the like the method he's chosen. This like leg. (laughs) So like so like the first time hot, the second time not. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, like it's a the first time it's like ooh that's kind of cool. And then you you realize that it's like oh and it's like metal and it's like ooh it's like all that. It's like a little scabby. Scabby and you have to clean it. There's some pus. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. See, it's a yeah. I'm gonna go with not on that one. Yeah, I think I talked myself into not. (laughs) (laughs) In a perfect world, maybe a hot, uh, but but I think as described in the novel, a not. uh, That's 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 how I will hedge this. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see. Uh, uh, We talked about this a little bit, but maybe maybe um, we could like talk a little more about angels and demons and stuff. What are your personal histories with Dan Brown novels before and after the Da Vinci code? This is from Jess Gould. Uh, Also, if you could put anything into the CERN super collider, what would it be? Uh, Is copy of the Da Vinci code too easy an answer? I was literally thinking that I was thinking I would put a copy of the Da Vinci code in. let's make it real. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but personal histories of the Dan Brown novels, uh, I, I wanted to go back to this because um, uh, I read Digital Fortress and obviously The Da Vinci Code. But after doing research for The Da Vinci Code, I want to read Origins so badly. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, like, Origin is the most recent Robert Langdon book, for anyone who doesn't know. And it's, like, it's got, like, a robot in it <laughs> and it's got like uh like like robert langdon is like rich in it or something he's like all he's like all bougie now it, it sounds hilarious i really want to read it absolutely i i love that the da vinci code just becomes or rather robert langdon uh the novels just become sci-fi immediately yeah because like there's the lost symbol which is a prequel but like i remember in the I, like the trailer for the TV show, they're like doing Indiana Jones shit. Like there's like temples that have like traps in them and stuff. So it really seems like he covered all genres with this, with this character, which is kind of impressive. We love Robert Langdon. We love Robert Langdon. Speaking of Robert Langdon, this question comes from David compared to the other books you've read for this show. How does where's a Mickey mouse watch rank in character traits? Oh, very highly. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, if, if anyone listened to the last bonus episode, 
I promise that I did not push to do the Da Vinci Code because of all the watch stuff in it. But it really shook out in a funny way. There are specifics about the watch in the novel, like like that it's Mickey and the arms are the are the hands of the watch. Mm-hmm. And I guess there have been a few because uh, I tried to look it up and be like, is this a specific watch? And yeah. I don't think that it's ever named, but there are a few Mickey Mouse watches that are in that like configuration. Obviously, there is the one from the movie. Um so great character trait, oh, better than claustrophobia. Do they do it in the movie? I was wondering. I, I've seen the movie and I've forgotten everything about it. Um, oh yeah, they did get a Mickey Mouse. I was curious if they like had to change it or because I, I don't know like who who the distributor was, like whether they were allowed to use that. It's in there. Oh, good. That's really good. Yeah, no, I I I do think that the Mickey Mouse watch thing is funny. I like that watches seem to be like a preoccupation that dan brown has because there's also like the rolex scene and like other stuff like it's he loves to talk about uh stuff he knows um and whom among us doesn't so uh i I support i support dan on that one Mm -hmm. got so many good questions i'm just gonna choose one more and then we'll do the rest uh on part two uh this one comes from sarah what puzzles would you come up with to hide within works of art? Um, I don't know why my uh, mind has gone here, but the um, Caravaggio um, painting of the beheading, mm-hmm. you know, the one, I, all oh, I'm hollow, thinking the of Hall is Furnace that one. Yes. Judith and Hall um, Furnace. Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah. The, um, the edit that we found that was um, Hermione and Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> um <laughs> of her cutting his head off. So I think that's like in the same way that in um <laughs> in the Da Vinci Code uh Teabing is like look closer. You think that's John the Apostle and she she's like no. That's a that's a woman. That's Mary Magdalene. That's that's me like Caravaggio I'm like you think that's actually Hermione and Lucius Malfoy. Look closer. <laughs> I um uh I I love that. I forgot about that and now I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of the day. Uh I can't find it again. Yeah, it's it, lost to time. It was too beautiful for this world. A very bad photoshop of of Emma Watson uh and uh what's his face in into into that painting. <laughs> really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not much of a puzzle, but that's what I think of. Uh, I have always really liked the, um, uh, do you know about the, the butt music from the Hieronymus Bosch painting? Oh yes, uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so there's like a, I, I can't remember if it's garden of earthly delights or a different painting, but it's a, it's a famous Bosch painting that has, uh, uh, like, you can you can like make out sheet music playing from this like little like anthropomorphized like ass creature um mm-hmm. and uh i think it's been like transcribed and stuff and like like people have like tried to like play the ass music and figure out what it means i think that a version of um the da vinci code where he has to like explain that there's like a secret there's like a secret tune in this in this painting if you if you would all stop laughing at, at this, you know, like I want a scene of Robert Langdon trying to calm his <laughs> class down 
because they're losing their shit over the ass music. And he's like, no, this is this is serious. You guys aren't respecting symbols enough. I love that. Oh, yeah. The ass music. Uh, that's 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 the that's the number one painting puzzle I, I think of. Um, Eating ass is how you see God. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> it makes beautiful music. <laughs> oh. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you know, I, I gotta say, we can, you know, when we get to the facts thing, we can get into this more, but I, I just related to this. I think it's really funny what paintings got chosen in this book to be the ones with like the hidden mysteries in. I guess he kind of limited himself with like Da Vinci specifically. But like, mm-hmm. you you know how many like Renaissance and like or like late medieval paintings have like crazy shit hidden in them, or like stuff where like if you look at it from a certain angle, you see a skull and shit. Like, there's so much cool Hell shit. Yeah, there's so much cool shit you can do with like mysterious art history stuff. And I love that he just like made shit up instead. Like, yeah, like in the Last Supper with the hand holding the knife, and it's just like he's just holding it weird. <laughs> It's the 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 book posits that it's like oh it there it's it's a disembodied hand because he had to paint out the the figure or whatever it's like no it's just uh, it's like the hand is behind someone what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's John the Baptist that's not Mary Magdalene <laughs> okay well. Oh no! You're no 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 no. Oh, I'm, you're the host. I'm the boss. You're the boss. I am the host. You're the I, host. I was uh, slacking off, um, but I I am the host today. So those were some great questions. Thank you very much. Um, we will be back uh, with part two where we confront some facts um, about the Da Vinci Code, uh, and that'll be that'll be plenty, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, uh, but for now. Uh, you can catch us on patreon.com slash streetcast. Our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them. I inverted the the outro, and you may have enjoyed uh, learning some facts about the Da Vinci Code, but in the meantime, please read another book. Please read another book. But there's a lady there Makes ocean rolls seem tame Better know what you're after If you catch her eye Cause this hot mama is just a cat in disguise